Welcome to the Nature's Image Farm podcast. We're glad you're here. I'm Greg. And I'm Susan. And together we're raising seven kids on the farm and learning life lessons along the way. So pull up a chair, rest your heels, and let's talk all things bees, homesteading, and the old time ways. Let's get after it. If you're interested in nukes, packages, queens, or supplies, visit us on the web at naturesimagefarm.com. Well, hey guys, welcome back to the Nature's Image Farm podcast, YouTube channel, and live stream. We are real excited to have you on board tonight. Uh, We've got a great uh, guest uh, that's going to come on tonight and talk about his experience uh, in sideline beekeeping, growing into a commercial scale. His experience working with uh, one of the most well-known beekeepers uh, in the world who's influenced uh, so many folks. Uh, Really looking forward to uh, getting into tonight's uh, conversation. I want to thank everyone for uh, joining us here tonight. There are so many folks here um, and off to the comments here. I really appreciate you guys uh, joining in and uh, hanging out with us tonight. Um, it's going to be a fun talk. There's, you know, one of the best things about beekeeping, we, we say it all the time, that bees are just the conduit to the people. Uh, bees have brought me all over the country uh, in so many different states. I've met so many different folks from all different kinds, walks of life, different ways to beekeep, different ways to think about things, different things to practice all those things. It, it's an abs- It's truly an honor to live this life, uh, calling so many folks friends, uh, getting to know them, how they keep their bees. Um, it's one of the not only coolest things in the world, but it's one of the most tremendous blessings. Uh, tonight's guest is one of those fellas where you can't help but just when you spend time with him, uh, he's just a good dude, solid a heart that's just solid gold, good through and through, salt of the earth. And he's the kind of guy when you see him, you can see how passionate he is about beekeeping. You can see he's on fire. He's got the fire in the, in the, in the eyes. He's got the grit in the gut. Uh, and when you have the honor uh, of working bees with him, too, you can't just help to know that this guy is going somewhere in a hurry. Uh, and just uh, being able to, to, to share in that, uh, see him and, and support it is just an awesome uh, thing. So I'm going to thank you again, everyone, for joining us tonight. It's going to be an excellent conversation where we're going to dig into some of the sideline bee business stuff, growing up into commercial, what that's like, what kind of experiences does it take to get there, um, what kind of uh, hard lessons learned are there, what are, what are, the, what are the, some of the, the challenges and kind of growing, um, what are the things that are leverage points or force multipliers. There's a lot to talk about, and I'm really looking forward to getting in tonight's talk. So whether you're listening on the Nature's Image Farm podcast, you're listening to us here live on the Nature's Image Farm YouTube channel, or you're watching the replay later, we want to thank you for joining. Hailing from the hills of Southern Appalachia, the frog gigging, honey slinging, bee ranching, the one, the only, Seth Hill. (laughs) I like that. What's up, everybody? Seth, welcome. Hey, man, you still got your big voice on. I got the big voice off now. <laughs> man, it's good to see you on here. It's uh, I know. It's so cool to have uh, such good folks on here tonight. Seth, welcome. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This is pretty new to me. This is like the second time I've ever talked over a computer. So we're well, delving it's, into it's all kinds of to have you on here stuff. tonight, Seth. 
Uh, we're going to get a couple of things just right out of the gate so so we don't forget them. Uh, Seth has a brand new YouTube channel called the Appalachian B Ranch. Uh, be sure at some point tonight you go over there and hit hit the like, subscribe, hit that notification bell, drop them some comments, uh, show them some love, and help this rascal get that channel off to a good start. He's a good dude, uh, and you'll you'll see why here. If you've never met Seth before, Seth, uh, walk us through who Seth is, who Seth Hill is, and um, where are you at with your beekeeping, and how in the world did you get here? Ah, uh, well, Seth's a good old boy. Um, I grew up. In uh, Lakemont, Georgia, which is not far from Clayton. It's like the seat of our town. Um, everybody around here refers to it as Raven County. And if you're outside of Raven County, people kind of give you the eyebrow. Like, what do you mean the county? But anyway, so I grew up, um, you know, around here. And um, I guess what got me into beekeeping was actually... Before I ever worked for Bob, me and my dad would go do, um, uh, we would cut bees out of houses. He's a general contractor. And um, we started doing that. And so I, when me and him would team up and go do um, the cutout, and I would get the bees and he would get paid. So I kind of got the short end of the stick. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. But, um, you know, and I, I was not a very good beekeeper. I, probably they would abscond or die or whatever i didn't know you know my rear end from a hole in the ground as far as bee boxes goes um and then i went to i ended up giving it up about my senior year in high school all i cared about was hunting and fishing um that's all i would ever do for the most part junior to senior year after school it, homework was second priority finding that buck or finding that bass was priority number one <laughs> um, and you know i mean academically speaking that's not that great but you know I your life find, priorities were on point weren't they literally absolutely. find the food heck yeah man but um i forgot what i was saying now oh yeah so i gave up beekeeping uh my senior year of high school um fast forward two years to 2020 i'm two years deep at abraham baldwin agricultural college um, pursuing a wildlife management degree and um, our lovely friend COVID showed up so that kind of gave me the boot there they kicked everybody out of school and said you know everything's online and I came home looking for a summertime gig and I didn't even think about it uh, my dad was the one that actually suggested it because I was just going to work with him until they let school back in and he's like why don't you go get a job with Bob you like doing bees I'm like yeah I'll try it out, and I filled out my two months. I call it my two-month contract, and then um, I was like, ah, well, I think I want to stay on another month, and, you know, he likes the way I work. So we, you know, we kept staying on, and then a month turned into till next summer, and then next summer turned into just, you know, two years down the road, and then somewhere along that line, me and Bob had a serious conversation about starting my own bee business, and um, so the rest is history. Here we are with a YouTube channel and 65 colonies looking to go to 300 this year. So nice. That's awesome. I don't know. You know, a lot of folks, we, we get started in beekeeping for a bazillion different reasons. And we, we struggle and we flounder and we do this and we do that. Very few folks can say, hey, you know, I, I, I got my coming up through Bob Benny. That, that's, mm -hmm. that's sort of a big deal. 
to have that kind of a, not only an educational point, but a, a point of a professional point of reference uh, to then, you know, possibly model the things that you want to see in your business as you grow, um, mm -hmm. you know, from that. Talk to us a little bit about, uh, you know, what's it like uh, working with, with Bob all these years? Oh, man, it's been that road has been one of the best I've ever traveled. I've met so many great people along the way. I've made more friends working under and around Bob than I'll probably ever make in my whole life. Um, Bob is one of the best teachers there ever is and probably ever will be when it comes to beekeeping. His methodology behind teaching people is not pointing out just their um, successes, but also their failures. And when he points those out, he doesn't pick them apart and try to tear you down, but say, hey, he really explains what that mistake will do down the road. It's not just like, don't do that. I don't have time to explain why. Um, da, 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 da. I'm unfortunately not that great of a teacher. I w I'm trying to take notes as I go. But um, working under one of the best beekeepers in, you know, this generation, I feel like personally, in my opinion, um, is unbeatable. There's no, I've had a golden opportunity thrust upon me and I just decided to run with it. What an amazing thing to be able to do. I mean, there's the, you know, you're right. You know, I spent time with you and Bob out in the yard and, you know, of course you have fun and you can cut up and, but you're always at the same time, all just digging in, getting it done. Here's what we're doing one box, one pallet at a time, one yard at a time. Um, and one thing I was so impressed with by, uh, by, by Bob and all you guys as, as a crew working together, it was just like a machine where you didn't have to say all the things that needed done. You just knew, you know, just one thing after another, after another. And that does take a, a certain uh, quality mindset out of the individual that you got to have to be able to work like that. But it also takes amazing leadership um, to be able to put guys together who all can work together, who can jump in and out of the truck all day long, who can break bread together, who can get along. You know, you, you that is an incredible thing that Bob's done too. And Bob does have the heart of a teacher, you know, and, and you know, you might be in there and you, he might be like, you know, now Seth, if you move that frame over this way here instead, then, you know, he, he can look at each cell um, as an asset and as a yield mm -hmm. and can help tune up every single frame, every box, every pallet, every yard, so that every cell is moving forward. And that, that's, a, that's a super big deal, not only for the experienced beekeeper, um, but for someone who's growing their business, learning from the very beginning, not only the, the frugality of growing a business, but literally learning how to rub together two pennies to get a nickel, all those things that matter. What you do now makes a big difference um, in, in just a couple months. Can you talk to us a little bit about what is the, some of the, the greatest things that you've learned um, beekeeping lessons that you've learned from bob some of the best beekeeping lessons oh boy there's a lot because i literally learned from block one you know um nuts and bolts would be stuff like don't ever put the hive tool down it, you know if you got like 10 colonies you're probably not going to be worried about that but if you're looking at making some jumps or you know they're robbing there's no honey flow you got to get moving you know, little stuff like that matters, you know, um, seconds add up to minutes, minutes add up to hours and hours add up to precious time. So, um, probably, you know, stuff like that, a lot of my nuts and bolts, and then not necessarily the gift of foresight, but you know, it's kind of like when you're teaching your kid to drive or your little brother to drive, 
you teach him to look ahead down the road instead of right in front of the car. You know, he's kind of mm -hmm. taught me to do that with the bees. Like, what are these bees going to do a month or two down the road? Or where do these bees need to be six months away? Or what's going to happen between now and then that can mess with these bees that I can kind of, you know, if there's a farmer with some, uh, uh, like some crops nearby or something, you know, get in touch with them or da, 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 you know, just a lot of proactive steps to really kind of predict, not necessarily predict, for the lack of a better word, predict what your bees are going to do and what to do about it before they do it, so to speak. It's, it's an amazing thing to be able, if you think, I mean, just think about that, you know, uh, however many years you've been, you mentioned how you, how long you've been you know, keeping bees, you see one repetition or one yearly cycle of something, right? And then you have the next year to try to put in play what you think you saw out of last year and those lessons learned. Right. And then you get that third year and that fourth year and you start getting into that fifth year. And it's like, OK, well, I'm starting to see, OK, I'm starting to, I'm, you know, starting to get a hang for this. I'm starting to really find the handle on this thing. But then something always happens and you, you get humbled quickly, whether whether you're coming from a place for, of pride or not. The bees are one of the greatest humblers that I think I've ever known. And I know it's one of the greatest humblers that Bob's ever known, too. Otherwise, he wouldn't be so successful this many years later can you i mean if you just think about it think about all the things that seemingly have gone wrong in all years past not only in a hive um, but in a yard or in a season for bob mm -hmm. and constantly working through it and always trying to move things in a positive direction i remember it was only uh let's see was it this year or last year the years are, are flying by i think it was two years ago where you guys had just a really really poor sourwood um crop mm -hmm. And what About do you do? Zero. Yeah. You know, and then I think right. we saw, talk, talk to us about what is that? Um, what, what, what is it like working with Bob when you're going through things that are for a lot of folks uh, at smaller scale, if they're, if, if they're, um, if their financial opportunities in their business aren't diversified and they are only looking at uh, financial gain from the crop they're getting ready to collect. And I imagine you got 65 colonies or you've got 200, you've got 300 colonies and you've gone all in on equipment and frames and you got these bees growing and you are tapped out and you need these bees to hit sourwood in a big way. Right. And then it dries up like that. That can absolutely end a lot of beekeepers oh, absolutely, um, and a yeah. lot of apiaries. Talk to us, Seth, about what it's like. Um, when you when you hit those little bumps, those, those little adversities, uh, not only with Bob at Blue Ridge, but uh, even with your own beekeeping. So I don't know if all of y'all have watched the YouTube video um, I put out, but I fortunately have a lot of help. Um, I got my dad backing me a little bit, and then I've got Bob, who I can lean on when I need to. And as I said, ABR would not be possible without him. So y'all go comment on Bob's channel and say, Hey, thank y'all. Thank you for supporting Seth for his YouTube channel. Yada, yada, yada. Y'all give him a big thank you. And That's um, right. when Bob hits those roadblocks, he's hit so many, it's as though he knows the side street to get around it and still come <laughs> out ahead. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know if he's figured out how to fly over them or jump, but he always seems to find a way to capitalize on failure. That is the key 
to success in any industry. If you can capitalize on your failures or, you know, at least break even just to survive, that would be the key to sustaining and, you know, becoming um, successful down the road, I feel like. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's a lot, got a lot to do with mindset. Um, having a good mindset during a downtime. Hold on, my computer's doing something funny. Sorry, guys. There we go. Oh, my gosh. There we go. Okay. Yeah, mindset. Mindset is, yeah. a, is a big deal. And I know yep. if you've, anyone has spent time with, with Bob, he's he's always thinking. He He's planning ahead. You know, he he can see those orange uh, barrels and those detour signs in his mind before you can even physically see him on the road. And he's already planning on, okay, I'm going to reach down. I'm going to put this in four low. I'm going to turn the wheel to the left. And then we're going to go mm-hmm. 100 yards. And we're going to put it on the right. We're back on, you know. And so he's he's had years of experience figuring that out. And to be able to, the way that he does is even when he has difficulty throughout the year, or let's say, say challenges like every beekeeper does, I think it's awesome that he's able to, you guys are right there along with him in the conversations in the truck, you're working it out. It's one thing to be able to learn from, from a beekeeper and say, wow, they're doing these things great. Like they are really great at making splits or making honey. He really knows how to super, he really knows how to bring a crop in. And that's fantastic. But to be able to learn from a beekeeper of what to do when things go wrong or when things don't go the way that you want them or need them to, like that is huge. I know, mm-hmm. Seth, talk to us a little bit about your beekeeping as you've um, have you've grown to 65 colonies. Um, I think I, I think you're, you're famous for, um, I don't know if I heard you say this uh, when I was down working with you and Bob or if I maybe caught it in one of Bob's videos. And if you didn't know. Uh, the magic man behind the camera on Bob's videos is this, <laughs> is, is this fella here, you know, Seth Hill. So Seth gets to see things. Seth, I, I got a glimpse into that uh, running around with Bob down in Florida on that series. And you're so, you know, busy trying to just not screw up the shot for Bob and and just keep everything, you know, and capture what you see. You're seeing what Bob is trying to portray through a camera lens. And then when you see it back later, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, that that is it's just it's it's mind blowing. You've got to see all these different opportunities um, from behind a camera and in person. Um, how, how has that helped shape you as you've grown as you've grown to 65 colonies? Have you had some had some detours and some roadblocks along the way? And how have you worked through those? Um, I've had a few. I didn't have a whole lot of roadblocks until this season. This season, like all the roadblocks from year one and two, decided to show up in season three. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I like to kind of say, I don't know if anybody in here has seen the movie Jurassic Park, but in the second one, um, I forget all the characters' names. Je- I, I, obviously, Jeff Goldblum is talking to the old guy, the guy who did the island, and he said, I'm not going to make the same mistakes. And Jeff Goldblum says, no, no, you're making all new ones. That's exactly how me and Bob's beekeeping relationship is. Mm. He advises me on what mistakes can be made so that I can make all new ones. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and figure it out by myself, which is good. You know, um, I like to say with no pain, there is no gain. Um, you know, to succeed, you must first fail a couple times. Um, one of my favorite quotes is uh, from Thomas Edison. He said, I did not fail at creating the light bulb. I just found 200 ways how not to make it. 
Nice. That's beautiful. That's one of my favorite quotes of all time because he's exactly correct. You have, and, and it, you know, again, this just goes back to the mindset thing. You have to look at it as though, well, I didn't fail. I just didn't do it right. And next time or, you know, on down the road, I'll know, you know, and, you know, that's how you learn. Um, you mess it up and you fix it. But, you know, with the certain, you know, obviously there's certain roadblocks where it's like you said, that's do or die. Um, this past year, had I not had a little bit of a, you know, a safety net, I probably would not be as far along as I am. I had two major, like, trees fall across the road while you're driving down the road. Um, I had a truck break down middle of summer, June 1 truck took a crap was in the shop for a month and a half during mm, you know the wrong time of year peak, yeah peak if season there was ever right time yeah yeah and i had actually worked my way up to 150 colonies at the end of last year and a few of my neighbors did not treat properly um i think i don't know that for a fact i'm not pointing fingers and saying you don't treat bees yeah, da, 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 da. I'm just saying I picked up some mites from somewhere and lost between the neighborhood of 30 or 40 colonies. So that set me back a little bit. Um, and, you know, if you can weather the storm long enough, the universe kind of has a way of presenting itself or showing itself or giving you some opportunities that you should take advantage of. It's just a matter of whether or not you can hold on long enough to get that last gulp of air and, um, you know, try to come out on top again. There, there's definitely something special about um, when you're when you're in tune with that. You just said universe, God, when you know you have that that call to do this and you know that it's going to be nothing but blood and mud and guts. Oh, yeah. Buddy. And and you prepare for that and you know that. And I think that the, the difference with, with, with beekeeping or, or, I mean, really farming in general, whether it's bee farming or, or anything else, a lot of folks can't hack it. And it's not because that uh, the folks who can are somehow superior, but one of the challenges is, is mindset. And it's one of those things to where I think some folks are born with it. I think some folks um, can develop it. Um, but if we are too attached and too caught up with only succeeding, Right. Or if we say this year I'm growing from 65 to 300 and you are hell bent on 300 and you get in there and you do some you do some things. And I and I say this because I've heard you say this and I don't know if it's from working with you in the yards or if, I, if I've heard it, uh, uh, you and Bob talking about it. But we are all guilty of getting in there. And just because we can doesn't mean we should. But how many times <laughs> have we gone in there and split the splits of our splits and then split them out one or two more times? Oh, Just yeah, Because, buddy. yes, we can get them queen right. And, yes, it is a colony going into the wintertime. But there, there's one thing that I always try to remind myself is, is um, at first you are, so, um, you are so geared up and motivated to create the beast. That's all you can think about is create the beast, right? It's, I'm, I'm creating this beast. It's one thing to create the beast. It's another thing altogether to maintain it. That beast needs fed. It needs watered. It needs yep. kept on a short leash. Um, and if not, that rascal gets off and bites you in the rear. It's happened to hey, me over and over and over again. And we all have um, little little protocols and safety nets. We develop those every single year to help sometimes keep us from ourselves 
but knowing that we are, I, I think beekeepers that are going to business for themselves, they are, um, they are risky. Like we, we are okay with risking resources, uh, and, and, and banking on the weather. Um, and because uh, a lot of it comes down to just some things that we can't control. And there's a, there's a oh, fine line and an art to writing, um, that line. Uh, talk to us a little bit, uh, Seth, about what has been some of your safety nets um, as you have um, learned uh, who you are as a beekeeper and as you've learned how your beekeeping tends to kind of show itself. What are some safety nets um, that help buffer that process to where you still have those assets, which is the bees year after year? Um, a lot of those safety nets comes in as a double screen board most of the time saving the small ones, the splits, you know, later on down the road. Those are probably one of the most single important tools in my operation, um, you know, as far as keeping bees alive. Um, other than that, the safety net has been just ride it till the wheels fall off. <laughs> Half a gallon of coffee and the will to live, buddy. <laughs> um I don't know. I'd have to think about that for a minute. I'm sure I've got some CYAs in place um, somehow in my brain, but most of the time it's kind of like you say, I created this beast and now I got to trank it, tame it and stick it back in the cage mm -hmm. before it goes nuts on me again. Um, I haven't had anything really get out from under me too bad. Um, so I don't know. I haven't really... Um, I don't know. That's a tricky one. What the, what happened with the, you said you went into winter with 150. Right. Uh, knowing you like I do, you were banking on 350 or four coming out of the following year, building up on that. What, if you don't mind sharing with this, what, what happened to that 150? Um, and how have you uh, been successful maintaining the 65 that you do have? So that goes back to the mites. Um, I got into some mites, my treatments, um, I'm trying to remember my treatment dates. I had my book right here, but uh, I knew that question was going to come up. That's why I had my book. But um, after the treatments were done, I got lackadaisical and um, did my washes and was like, okay, I'm clean. We're good. Feed them, get them ready for the winter time. I sold approximately 30. So that backed me back down to like 120. Um, I wasn't going to sell them. And then I was like, well, I need some money. So, I put up an ad for some singles. Um, I sold them. And then I cannot remember the exact date, but I went into my bee yards and was just getting ready to feed. And I got to looking at the fronts and I was like, huh, that's awkward looking flight. They were flying out and wax cappings were flying out behind them. That's how uh -huh. fast they were robbing. They were uh -huh. robbing each other out. And uh, so I popped a lid and I'm like, oh, that one's dead. Pop five more lids. I was like, oh, these are dead. I was like, huh. And I didn't have a mite wash kit with me. I was going to feed and, you yeah. know, ride back home. So I went back. I think I skipped a day because of inclement weather or something. We had a freak storm come through. And um, I skipped two days. That's what it was. We had a big, bad storm come through with, like, naders and all kind of stuff. So um, I skipped a couple days. And then... Went back with a mice wash kit in each yard. I had one with a 28, one with a 32, and then one with a 31, 30, 31. So I was like, 
There were a few obscenities, I can't say, oh on the internet. Gosh. Shouted, and the might wash uh-huh. kiss was pitched into the woods. Um, but um, so knowing that, I called Bob as soon as I got service, and I was like, "Man, man, man!" I was like, "He was like, man, just just breathe. It's okay." <laughs> and I was like, "What what do I do?" And he's like, "Well, you need to get them knocked back with whatever you can get them knocked back with." Um, so I did, you know, I did another round of treatments, um, and that got them saved. I did a round of that, um, and then I started smacking them with oxalic immediately. Even with brood, you know, just trying to get the phoretics down, mm-hmm. trying to get some kind of control on these bad boys. Um, so uh, after I finally got done losing, I think I was sitting at like 80. So, yeah, that sounds about right. I think I lost about 40 outright. Yeah. Um, and this was not like over a month or two. This was like went to feed, came back, and they were dead, like kind of mite problem. Um, so, like maybe a week, maybe two weeks. It was probably a week because I was feeding a little thinner syrup going into the fall, and then I started thickening it up a little bit um, after that, trying to keep, you know, getting – uh, what yards were light, you know, some yards weren't even light because they robbed out each other so much. They basically filled up for the winter time. So that was a plus that saved me a little bit on my feed bill, but, um, <laughs> right. Got to look at it. There's always somehow. a, a lining in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. But anyway, so after that, I think I gave them two rounds of oxalic and Bob said, I consulted with Bob after my first round of oxalic and he said, he was considering going to Unadilla, and he's like, you need to go south. That'll help those bees. That pollen will help them get back healthy. You can oxalic them, you know, the whole nine. Yeah. And as we were considering going to Unadilla, Bob got a call from a friend of his, and he said, hey, if Seth needs a bee yard, he's more than welcome to come down here. I'll unload him. We can put him on pallets. The oh, whole man. nine, he just really – for reals, came in, put the shield down, all Saved the bullets that were coming in, I came out on top. Wow. Um, so Bob was gracious enough to lend me some four-way pallets. Um, and so we put them on, I got them all, took me a couple nights, but I got them moved to four-way pallets. We hauled them south. I think I hauled 72 south. Um. And that's how I ended up with 65. I lost a few more while I was down there. They were still mm-hmm. pretty small. Some yeah. of them were barely two frames of bees when they went down there. And um, so here we are at 65-ish. I've got a few. I, I think I've got around 65 south, and then I've got a yard uh, back to the north that I just didn't take south because they were fairly clean. So I just mm-hmm. gave them a bunch of oxalic, and they were all double deeps. So I didn't feel like transferring those over by hand. They were heavy. They were good. I just let them ride. There's there's kind of a lesson learned here. I'm I'm gonna maybe speak more to my experience here, but I've got a feeling it yours probably mirrors it, uh, and I can I can say it because we're both the type of fellows who we bite off more than we can chew, and somehow find a way to eat it cold. A year right. after year, we try to take smaller bites. We mm-hmm. get warmer bites. And once you appreciate that smaller, warmer bite, you're thinking, ah, you knucklehead. Let me think through this before I do the same thing again year after year after year. 
you know, and there's, there's, of course, is the Einstein quote that we've all said a million times, but, you know, to, to do the same thing, expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. Somehow as beekeepers, we get in this weird loop where um, we can only process so much of this goals and dreams and desires and all this passion. Um, and sometimes the, the, the passion and desire to grow and to build and to do and to get up to that next step. Sometimes it, it, it comes with great sacrifice. A lot of that has to do, I think, with time management uh, and also being realistic with, with the situation and the health of our colonies. Um, so I'm, I'm not picking on uh, your experience here. I can, I can pick on my own that the, the situation that you're talking about there, you know, when those bees start crashing, you know, from mite loads, it, it does take a little bit more time than, than we want to acknowledge. They actually have to go through they have to have the mites there present. Those those viral loads have to be expressed, um, and then those next round of bees coming through. It, there is a there is a a significant amount of time that it does take, uh, and that's the hard part to accept because I I want to believe that uh, sometimes these things just happened overnight. And that you sure I mean you can you can get you can get high mite loads happen really quick. Uh, you know when your bees are out foraging, you know sit colonies or sit colonies are uh, maybe mm-hmm. out foraging yours, vice versa. There's a lot, lot of different ways. And a lot of these things, unfortunately, we've talked with um, Dr. Uh, Humberto, Dr. Peck. We've tried to get in, into this. Where do the bees, where, where do they actually get into the mites? How do they bring them back? What does it look like? What is actually being transmitted? And how long does it take before we start to see any kind of decline? Unfortunately, there is a lot of gray areas here where we don't fully understand um, all those things. But the reason I bring that up, Seth, is I can know from my own experience we're so dedicated on building the beast that we're not maybe we don't have the bandwidth. That's probably the easiest way to say it. we don't have the bandwidth to process all of the functions that need to be executed to make that beast healthy. And so we grow them out. We put them out there in those yards and something happens. They start to get those viral loads being expressed. And the next thing you know, they start dwindling and dwindling. And then it all of a sudden seems like in one week's time, they've gone from I don't know what their mite loads are to absolutely crashing. As you've worked with Bob, um, with Bob's integrated pest management, you know, the, 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 the oxalic acid and Apivar, uh, Apigard, all the things that, that, that you guys are doing there. Where do you draw the line on, okay, I'm working with Bob, and here's what we're doing in Bob's yards, and then here's what I'm doing in Seth's yards. Where do you draw <laughs> the line there on, and being okay with, with uh, uh, diverting from the course a little bit, or do you? Um, every once in a while, I kind of am like, eh, I'm going to pass. It's usually along the lines of oxalic acid. Um, I personally have a ProVap 110. That's what I use for oxalic vaporization. Um, it's reliable. They work. They are expensive, but in my book, you get what you pay for. Uh, but anyway, um, the only thing I do a little bit differently is um i probably venture out on the um i don't know if you've seen the video or not where you put the rag in the front you use a little stick to go in and all this that and the other mm-hmm. i pack a lot of oa and i pack that thing till it won't hold anymore flip the cap over and stick it in there and let it ride um i not necessarily trying to skip important details um i'm not sure that it makes that big of a difference Personally, that's just me. I see not necessarily the same kills, but pretty close. 
And for me, being smaller, you know, one extra round of oxalic acid for, you know, 150 colonies versus an extra round for 2,000 colonies, there's a big difference there. So I can afford certain um, liberties, so to speak, mm-hmm. with certain stuff that Bob just can't. I mean, I get it. He's paying four people to run around vaporize or two people to run around and vaporize, whereas I'm paying myself my time to take care of my bees to make sure I've got assets, you know, living and breathing and healthy and mite free, so to speak. Um, that's really the only thing I do, um, do a little different. As far as IPM, uh, most everything else is um, pretty much by the book. Every once in a while, like, you know, obviously with uh, Apigard, if I don't do it the same week Bob does, I just have to watch the temperature and stuff like that. So it's really just, you know, I don't do anything outlandishly, like I don't treat or this yard got skipped or nothing like that. Um, I try to integrate some of the same, but, you know, just, at, you know, it's kind of a different scale type of deal. Like, I can do mine just a little different because I don't have quite as many colonies to manage. You can, you can find that sweet spot where you're balancing out your your scale, your context, your goals. You know, a lot, a lot of the things, um, and the, the reason I, I bring that up, Seth, is, uh, you know, we're big fans of, of osalic acid, too. You know, our, oh, yeah. uh, one of the game changers uh, for us, um, was moving from the corded units to the instant vape where we can just go through and just blast them on with the Walt batteries and it get actually sure. gets done. Um, the, 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 the trouble that we had is there's all these options out here for mites and not fully understanding what each product, what the, what the true um, potential is, um, where, where there are some challenges. You know, every product that right. I, uh, I think Bruce is on here listening tonight uh, Bruce just did a great interview with uh, Tom Nolan of uh, Nod Apiaries. Um, they had a great talk about um, about Formic Pro, for instance. You know, um, yeah. where where it's gold, where it has limitations, and what to think right. about. A lot of that information, whether it's it's uh, Formic Pro, whether we're using Apigard, um, or even Osalic Acid, um, or Apivar is a great one too. There there are there is there's nuance to all these things, and as we try to figure out what the nuance is and how these uh, treatments apply to our beekeeping. Unfortunately, it's like if we don't put the treatments on, our bees are dead. Right. And if we put the treatments on wrong, our, our bees, bees are, are dead, dead because either the, the, <laughs> the treatments are too strong or they're too right. light. Yep. You get wild cards in there um, and it absolutely breaks your heart. But we learn a lot from guys like Bob when Bob oh, yeah. is solid, you know, Bob, you know, he's got great uh, winter survival. He's doing a lot of things right. You know, and when he banks on a certain product, Yes. Um, and then there's massive failure and you're thinking what in the world's going on? And it turns out that it's very likely was concentrations within the product itself. And yeah. everyone starts having the same trouble with that. It's challenging when we start leaning um, on specific treatments or programs um, to keep our bees clean, but that that's what it takes. You know, when, when Bob's out treating, I mean, if we just talk about Bob, just, just the Walmart yard alone, you know, the, financially what it costs to treat, the Walmart yard with Apigard or Formic Pro, it gets to be expensive. Oh, of so course. What I want to bring into the conversation here, Seth, is as we are growing our bee yards, we are trying to balance out our what is our cash flow right now as we're in the beekeeping season um, mm-hmm. to actually provide the things that we need for our bees um, to get them into a strong colony that can win. Or how do we balance that 
um, with sometimes maybe just flying by the seat of our pants, maybe mm-hmm. sometimes a little bit too much. How, how do you find the balance um, at your scale um, trying to cash flow your operation? A lot of that comes with that gift of the foresight, like, well, and, you know, not necessarily, like I say, predicting, but um, I like to set the first thing I like to do. And I think that's what every beekeeper likes to do. They like to maybe want to guesstimate what they're going to be at at the end of the year. If you want to grow, if you want to maintain, if you want to go down, do you want to sell a bunch? Uh, Do you want to donate a bunch? I don't know. Um, I'm looking to grow massively and i would like to be at 300 but i would be happy with like 225 250 um one thing i've learned in this industry and just in life in general if you shoot for the stars and you land on the moon you still landed on the freaking moon okay yeah (laughs) you know what i mean so you know if you shoot make a long shot you're still going to get out there and you're still going to hit targets that nobody else is hitting Right. Um, but at any rate, so, you know, the first thing I like to do is establish what kind of goal I'm going to be at and what I need to do to get there. Uh, primary goal is how many colonies I want to be at at the end of the year. Um, the cash flow for me right now comes in at singles and queens. That's my easiest and most, you know, somewhat guaranteed income. Honey is a bonus check. Um, another thing I like to say is mother nature's the house and she always wins. <laughs> That's you right. just get to be fortunate enough to pick red 21 or black eight or whatever. I don't know how that works. My point it sounds is like you do it smart. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. You run the gamble. Uh-huh. Um, and if you make good on it, that's awesome. But if you're a real gambler and, you know, you start hitting bottom and bottom and bottom and bottom and bottom, you're going to be looking at starting from rock bottom, which I, I can't afford to go there just yet. So. So how do you so right now, you know, a lot of folks who are listening tonight are, um, you know, they're at we could have a brand new beekeeper. We could have a backyard beeper right. that's aspiring to get to 10 or 20 colonies, uh, a, a sideliner who. Uh, is is trying to turn uh, their beekeeping operation into something that does cash flow that's maybe uh, profitable at least pays for itself but if it's a sideline then we're going to treat it like a business of course um, and and they're they're working full-time elsewhere and they're working bees yeah. on on the side Absolutely. similar to what your relationship is with Bob you're working with oh, yeah. Bob full-time and then uh, your 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 side job is beekeeping um, I, got, I got a lot of questions that I think a lot of folks are interested to hear. Um, on that and, and there right. might not be any solid answers um you know uh, for that but, probably but, not with me <laughs> well it's 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 the experience i think that we all share uh it's you know when, when we're, we're talking about dedicating allocating the time and the funds mm. for the sideline b operation while at the same time maintaining our uh responsibilities um on the full-time job how right. how how much do you let the full time at some point we cross over and the sideline operation starts to pay for itself and at least it's breaking even yes. and then we realize okay it's it's it can actually stand alone at this scale and then we have to decide where do we start funneling in money and time into this where does where does that come from are we taking time and money from our full time job and funneling that into the b business 
Um, do we somehow grow the B business in and of itself slowly enough that we can return all those assets back into the business, fold those back in, and then just grow itself? When you're growing from 65 colonies to 300 colonies, that's a heck of a lot of queens to make to be able to yes. cash flow the boxes and the boards and the frames oh, and course. the feed. Absolutely. Talk to us about how you have, um, how either you have or you continue to try to find that time and financial balance working full time uh, for Bob, but also working and building the sideline B business. So I have to remind myself of this sometimes, but Bob is priority number one. He is my full-time job and he pays my full-time paycheck. But I also have to remember that if I want to grow, I'm going to have to make sacrifices. So if I need to ask for a day off, you know, so that I can do bees or I can do make the honey pouring tank or I can make the candles to go to the market with on the weekend, I need to do that so I can kind of, you know, it's not necessarily that I work X amount of number of hours on the clock. I work to make sure that I keep a, you know, just some kind of money trickling in with Bob. And then, you know, while I'm really, when I go home, I bust ass. I don't play around. Yep. You know, I really try to get it going when I get home. Um, and, you know, as far as like cash flow and equipment, um, like I say, the bees has been the biggest amount of cash flow for me. If you can sell bees, which people want bees, like, I don't know why or how, but, you know, there's always a demand for bees. It's just a matter of letting people know that you have them. Um, that's the biggest issue. I don't have that, fortunately, thanks to all of my friends in the YouTube community. Um, I've You have friends in high places, you could say. <laughs> Heck yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And even if you don't, you know, there's avenues to do that. Um, right. Like the state of Georgia has... Uh, the farmer's market bulletin. I don't know if other states have that or not. Um, that's an avenue. You could put up ads in the Bee Journal for stuff like that. It's expensive, but the Bee Journal has, I don't know how many, probably hundreds of thousands of subscribers. So that, you know, it's kind of just figuring out how to get your stuff out and then you can start generating cash flow. So maybe to answer that question directly, because I'm terrible at this, I will talk about space quantum theory when you ask me about a beekeeping beekeeping question <laughs> my god you let me get into it but um you know you might keep on the low end until you can figure out how to get your product around and you know once you start getting a customer base then you can really start making those jumps you know 20 to 40 5 to 40 5 to 20 you know it it doesn't matter if you have 4000 colonies that you're trying to sell if nobody knows you have them to sell. That's just, you know, it's like the shelf in Walmart. Nobody can reach for the one thing everybody wants. It's like that, you know, people are going to ask the manager to get up there and get it. But if they don't know what's up there, they're not going to worry about it. They're going to go find something else. You know, do you find that there's a lot, obviously, you know, working with Bob, your full-time job, like most sideliners, that's the number one thing. Right. You can only sacrifice that to a very uh, to an oh, extent yeah. where yeah. you're not jeopardizing that relationship or that opportunity in attempt to try to grow another opportunity. You really have to be able to look at the the sideline opportunity and say, hey, okay, right. here's where I'm at. Okay, if I if I'm able to invest this much X time or this much X money, 
then yeah. the yield is, can, could look like this. And you got to be extremely realistic with that and not oh, just yeah. say, well, all oh, I yeah. need to do is take two days off from my main gig and spend two days yeah. working the bees. If you don't have that experience to know what, how to best spend that time, what those yields could look like. But yeah. I think a lot of sideliners, they will still get into um, a, a cycle, whether it's mental or physical, but we, we have to fund the bee business one way or the other. Either we have to bring in time um, and capital oh, yeah. from the outside and bring that in, or yeah. we have to grow the sideline business at a, at a, at a rate to where it grows in and of itself. And we fold it back in and, and keep moving forward. Seth, as you've grown, you know, you went to 150, you said last year, you're at 65 yeah. good looking colonies right now. You're able yeah. to occasionally take a day off um, from Bob oh, yeah. and then invest that time into the sideline business. Um, how, so it sounds like you're comfortable, um, taking time from one to give to the other. How yes. comfortable are you taking, uh, capital from one to the other? As comfortable as walking into somebody, some stranger's house and grabbing a drink out of the fridge sometimes. And then <laughs> other times it's like, well, the way I look at it and you know, it's a hard pill to swallow sometimes, but if I need something, I get it. Yeah. I don't worry about it. I don't debate two or three days. If I need something, you know, eventually in my mind, and this is not necessarily a good thing. This is actually more of a fault. I envision a return out of that somehow. Um, you know, and that don't always happen, but when it does, you know, you've got cash flow and revenue coming back in so you can reinvest it or, you know, invest it in something else or fix the car or put tires on the girlfriend's car or whatever. Um, so capital time investment is, you know, I have nothing but time with the bees. The bees are my second life and job. Um, as far as capital goes, you know, I don't have a whole lot of extra money, obviously. Um, generally when I get it, it, um, I had a guy tell me the other day, it, you know, it's hand to mouth. As soon as we get it, you know, it's going back out to pay bills or, you yeah. know, all this, that, and the other. And um, so, um, and I'm pretty good about picking, you know, like my woodenware and stuff. I can pick that out pretty cheap. My most expensive woodenware is probably my frames. That's probably my most expensive, you know, as far as boxes goes, I dig around in the dumpster. I find old wood, cut it up, and put frame rests in it and all this, that, and the other. I'm pretty good with woodworking equipment. Um, if you're looking to get, you know, that kind of capital cheap, I highly recommend putting the capital into like a table saw mm -hmm. or a cutoff saw. Something that can make expensive stuff is worth the money to invest in. Yep. Is, you know the way I like to look at it. Those are solid points. Is and I think a lot of folks are right there in that same, you know, uncomfortable position. And I, I appreciate that you, you brought it up because a lot of us, myself included, we have spent when you're growing anything, you know, you can, we all have a different um, level that we are able to accept risk at. Um, and so, some of the risk we know that we are going to be not only hand to mouth, but there might be a right. day or two in between where we're not eating. And what do we do then? Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a lot of us go hungry. 
uh, through a, a lot of these these growth spells, oh, yeah. and that's what it takes. That's just part of the sacrifice. That's oh, not yeah, a pat on the back. Pain. That's not to say somehow we're doing things um, better. But when you have that call in your heart, and you and you can see that there's a path laid out in front of you, and you feel like it's the universe or it's God is, is a part of this thing too, you have a certain due diligence to keep stepping forward, keep walking through those doors, and be mindful at all times. Give everything thought, you know, make sure that we are, we're, we're staying in tune with all that as we grow. And I think a lot of the growth comes um, from those times when we are really, really hungry, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back a lot of folks, you know, they do it now, but too, but the, uh, the, the uh, fasting and meditating, fasting and praying, fasting when there's something about going hungry mm-hmm. that really gets you thinking up here and it can really yes, get sir. you in tune here. Uh, and that's a lot of beekeeping. A lot of beekeeping is fasting and praying to God somehow make this thing oh, work, yeah. keep it all together. And I yep. hope the wheels don't fall off on this downhill <laughs> ride. You yeah, buddy. That's what it is. Oh yeah. Seth, as, as you are obviously intimately aware um, of, of that, as, as you grow right. uh, your sideline business, you talked about, you want to start to get to that 300 range and then it's going to yeah. be, it's going to grow and grow and grow. You're finding ways um, to to cash flow, time flow, right. um, where you can you can keep that that healthy uh, balance a- as you've kind of developed um, your own method. Of course, you've um, have paid your dues at the, the, the your tuition at the School of Hard Knocks, I'm sure. Um, oh, yeah. But you've also had a lot of um, uh, amazing educational opportunities working with Bob as you are growing. What do you think some of your your greatest limiting factors are right now on you going from 65 to let's say 300? So my biggest limiting factors, I think as per Liebig's law, the minimum, the number one limiting factor is obviously money. I think that's every sideline beekeeper's limiting factor. Yeah. Number two is good equipment, good truck. Um my truck's not bad, but it's not really got enough rear end in it to do what I need it to do. Um, and then, you know, as far as that goes, that's really my only limiting factors. Um, probably money, truck, and then, um, honestly, my other limiting factor, and this kind of goes into the honey thing, um, is I don't have a lot of sourwood locations. Oddly enough, all my beehives are, Kind of like, I don't know if I can do this on the screen, but if, you know, this is Bob's area right here, all my beehives are kind of on the outer rim in in the south and a little bit to the north right here. Um, But even that is lower elevation, so it's not really a great sourwood spot. Um, If I could get into that range and make a little bit of that, that would probably um, propel me a little further. so that's another one of my limiting factors is not necessarily having, I mean, we'll make good spring honey. Don't get me wrong, but having that high dollar liquid in the jar mm-hmm. is big time. And that's the one everybody wants, man. They will not ask for the local. They will not ask for the special flavors. They will not ask for the wildflower. They want the sourwood. And if you don't got it, then they ask for local, but otherwise that, you know, Sourwood first. Yep. Yes, sir. Yep. As you um, 
you're 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 thinking about salary. You're thinking about the extra capital it creates, oh, and it can cash flow. You know, your late spring, early summer season as you kind of go into the fall and start to build, and you, and you start to grow. What do you think some of your leverage points um, have been, not only in the past but this year? What are some some solid leverage points that you think are really helping create that extra force out in your yards? So my ability with a grafting tool. Nice. Yeah. That is definitely one of my strong suits. That and my ability to not care if it's dark, sleet, snow, rain, you know. Um, what what does he say? He says it in the... I quote movies a lot. It's... um, Crap. Rambo. Rambo. He's talking to uh, the colonel in the tent. He says he's been trained to ignore pain, to ignore weather. I'm not pain. I'm working on weather. <laughs> doesn't bother me a bit. Uh, if it's dark, nah, I got 10 colonies left. I'll put a flashlight on my veil and go rocking. Um, as long as it's not slap pouring the rain and it's like detrimental to the beehives, you know, I'm working. So being, having a wee bit of brawn will assist you in the bee world for sure. Um, not necessarily being tough, but just having, um, I guess, a sense of I need to get this done. And if as long as it's not going to be harmful to my bees, I can do it. You know, um, that's definitely one of, I guess you would call that a force multiplier, I guess. That was going to be my next question I, to, to quote. Uh, you're, you're quoting like, you know, really heavy philosophical things like <laughs> Rambo. And I, I'm struggling here to think how, how do I how do I say something smarter than that? And I can I can only think of I can only think of one one thing, um, and, and to quote a bumper sticker: <laughs> "Real beekeepers do it in the rain." Right, yes, Seth? Yes, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that's one of Seth's uh, golden sayings on a on a bumper sticker there. But that that's a fact. It's on I a think, coffee uh, mug now too. Oh, it's a look at you, man. I know. I'm I'm coming up in the world. <laughs> Iron and fog hair split three ways. Look at you. <laughs> you know, I think one of the cool things that you're talking about there is, you know, uh, when when we interviewed Bob, um, I think he 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 brought it up then uh, a couple years back, and we all know Bob enough. You especially know Bob. Um, oh, yeah. There is a there is a certain fire in the eyes. There's a grit in the gut, but there's also a tenacious spirit. There's something oh, to course. say about tenacity that no matter what is going on, um, you are digging in, you are pushing through, you're going to make it happen. Even knowing that sometimes you might take a loss or you're, you're going to bleed oh, or you might lose some teeth. Um, you you're still it. going in that fight knowing that you will come through on the other side one way oh, yeah. or the other. And I think it does take a lot of that to be successful, not not only at you know 20 or 30 colonies, but two, 300, 400. Uh, and I think these are all lessons that we learn at this sideline scale growing into commercial um, with the hope and the dream that we can be a Bob Benny or we can be a Chris Werner and we can oh, be, yeah. be operating at that level um, of, of success, which is just amazing to think about that someday we might be right there. Um, and it all is, is because of guys like Bob and Chris oh, who take course. time to pass the torch, to be the lighthouse, um, to do those things. And so it's, it's an amazing, it's, it's, it's an amazing opportunity to not only just check out Bob's videos, uh, but to work with Bob. But what I, one thing I love about Bob, and I don't know that I've ever got the chance to really say it, but one of the first things that blew me away about Bob it, it was who Bob was as a person. 
the the type of crew that Bob has, the folks that he has working with him, he gives folks beautiful opportunities there. Uh, and he's just there being Bob, just gracious, loving, kind. Yeah, there's work to do. And here's here's how we're staying on track. But he's given a lot of folks some opportunities that maybe they wouldn't have found in other places. And in doing so, they have grown and blossomed and just it was like it's just a huge point in their personal growth, too. And I think it's awesome to have folks like you, Seth, learning with Bob. Um, you're going to do the same thing, you, whether you whether you know it or not, you will be that lighthouse. You are a lighthouse to folks sharing what you're doing. Uh, if you're listening tonight on the Nature's Image Farm podcast, uh, if you're listening to us live tonight on the uh, Nature's Image Farm YouTube channel or you're checking out the replay, uh, be sure to ch check out uh, Seth's brand new YouTube channel at the Appalachian Bee Ranch where you can follow all things Seth. You can follow him along as he goes from 65 <laughs> The three million colonies, uh, boot, <laughs> yeah. bootstrapping it, selling frog legs on the side, whatever oh, it takes. Yeah. You know, twenty bucks is twenty bucks. He's got to do what, what's necessary <laughs> to keep these things moving. Um, and oh, and I love man. that about you, Seth, because you do. You've you've got that you've got that spirit about you, that pioneering spirit uh, when it comes to raising bees, and that that that's what it takes. Uh, Seth, as you're, you know, we've talked about you know, some limiting factors, um, some leverage points, and you just hinted at it there a minute ago. Um, there's a lot of things that we stumble across, we we learn or we find the hard way uh, in growing our business um, or growing our bees where one and one equals three. And on the farm, we call those things force multipliers. Uh, it, it might be uh, a skid steer. It might be a flatbed oh, truck. It might be a certain thing that all of a sudden catapults you to a whole nother level um, where you're operating at a place where you couldn't even imagine that before. What has been um, some force multipliers for you as you've grown to 65 and then 150, and then as you're growing back up to that 200 or 300, what's what's some force multipliers for Seth Hill at the Appalachian Bee Ranch? So, so far, um, a Flowjet 4.9-gallon feed pump, that is my number mm. one force multiplier. Five-gallon jugs suck. <laughs> I cannot say that enough. Yeah. Get a feed pump. It'll change your life. Um, the second force multiplier is if you know you can't afford the fancy uh, 2026 Ram flatbed with, you know, dang heated air. Man, Bob's seat. got nice trucks, doesn't he? Oh, man. Oh, I'm so spoiled. Oh, those. Uh, I jump in my truck to go work bees. And I debate on whether or not just to ask Bob to borrow one of his trucks. <laughs> his, his flatbeds on his trucks are worth oh. more than most people's trucks. Oh, dude. It's probably worth more than my truck, um, for sure. But um, my force multiplier being the size that I am is a 5 by 12 trailer. Mm. A trailer, uh, uh, some kind of trailer. If you're running out of just a pickup truck, even get like a small, I don't know, what's the smallest trailer they make, like a five by eight or something? Yeah, or something yeah, like six by eight. Yeah, yeah even like a that. small yeah. trailer will change your life. Um, yeah. I got a good deal on a five by 12. I don't know if we have time for stories or not, but I might. Of course you do. So, okay, here's the story of how I got my first, very first trailer. My dad gave me the proposition. Actually, my dad brought me back a metric ton of rock coal when he went to go pick up a trailer. 
So this nice. is how I got my trailer. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I thought that was neat. I used to be a blacksmith, so I kind of like that stuff. I got coal mm -hmm. for Christmas. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, off the subject. Um, so he said, but you're going to help me load up the scrap metal, and you're going to get the trailer. And I said, what trailer? He's like, the trailer under the scrap metal pile. I'm like, what? Now, mind you, just envision there's a 5 by 12 trailer hidden under this pile of scrap metal. That's how big Dang, this pile of scrap that's metal a is. Stout trailer. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty all right little dude. But um, so we start digging, we start moving stuff, and I see the tongue, and then I see the tire, and then I can start seeing the gate, and I can actually see the bed, and I'm like, holy crap, there's actually a trailer under here. I'm thoroughly shocked. But anyway, so when I got the trailer, it had one tire, no lights, the jack was busted, the tongue was froze up, so it was a piece of junk it deserved to go on the scrap metal but i have done so much work on that trailer um it's not even funny i wouldn't trade it for a brand new uh trailer off the lot you know even to upgrade sale and get a even nicer deal i wouldn't trade it for nothing in the world um but you know it's stuff like that you know not necessarily go out and buy a new one but you know look around the neighborhood or you know check around with your friends and see if somebody's got an old piece of crap you can put a few hours in, put a tire on, and get it moving, you know. Um, that's how I've found a lot of my come-ups is it was garbage that I fixed up and, you know, made it just good enough to ride with, and I'm still running with it. Um, like I say, my feed rig is that way. I was doing it out of 55-gallon drums, uh, but now I've pretty much moved up to a tote. I just strapped the tote in the back of the truck. Um, I'm going to have to modify my truck bed before long because I'm actually not damaging it, but I'm stressing it out pretty good, strapping a full tote in the back and slamming on the brakes. and Not like locking it up, but, you know, somebody pulls out in front of you and making it. Full. Yeah. yeah, I think. I can't remember what one-to-one -one is. I think it's like 2780-something. It's up there. It's heavy. Yeah. And um, so, you know, you're strapping a full tote in the back of a pickup truck bed. It's going to stress it out. Um, I'm going to put a YouTube video up on that, on how I'm going to modify it. Nice. And I got to get some capital to get the metal first. So we'll see. It's coming. I just don't know when. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, so, you know, little stuff like that. It's not necessarily big force multipliers, but any little thing you can acquire to make yourself faster boom will pay off down the road um if you can move 10 colonies instead of five you can move 10 colonies fill up a yard in two trips instead of four if you're doing a 20 colony yard or whatever you want to do um if you can feed 200 colonies instead of two you've just made yourself faster and it seems like a big really not an easy something to take you know it's not an easy blow to take it first but once you start using it and once you see how easy it is after you've made yourself faster and how much more you can do after you are faster, it's just, it's a satisfying and, you know, it's a good feeling knowing you can make yourself money off of being fast. So that's the that's way a, I like to look at that's stuff a like big that. deal. You know, we, we can't, we can't make any more time, um, but we can find ways where these things that are making us money take less time to do. And sometimes it does take a, a, a capital investment in either a, a scrap pile and then right. couple that with time um, or, or uh, buying that piece of equipment or a gear 
that is saving us a tremendous amount of time. And the beautiful thing about whether, whether it's a flatbed truck um, or it's a trailer or it's a you know tractor with forks or a skid steer, you know what, what, those things are going to be there for you to continually use to continue to save those times over and over and over again. And yep. now I don't even know, you know, I'm sure the same thing with you. You know, if you look at, you know, this is probably don't want to go down this rabbit hole here, but you know, there's all oh. of this, all of this, all this conversation of if anyone watches any, like, okay, if um, Seth, you're a fellow hillbilly. So I guarantee you probably have, a lot of us will will check out those apocalyptic doomsday things, right? And so oh, the day yeah, after man. an event oh, is like, yeah. you know, day zero is the event, and then it's day oh, one, course. right? Yeah. Okay. I've never been in a day one situation and looked back and said, man, I wish, you know, I really, you know, I really didn't need that flatbed truck, or I didn't need, oh, or I really didn't need that diesel, or I really didn't, like, you almost wondering what in the world, I wish I would have done this sooner. And of so course. for a lot, a lot of the metrics, sometimes as we, you have to learn to be smart with your money. And, but a lot of these things, when you make these big leaps on a lot of these things uh, to invest in that, it's almost, you know, it was the right move when immediately you were like, it's not that, oh, wow, this is a great radio inside of it. No, it's, oh my God, I can carry two totes of pro suite on the back and I can put, yes, sir. How many 64 colonies on top of here? Easy. Like mm -hmm. it starts to thinking, I can't believe I didn't do that sooner. Um, right. But we have yep. to, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, there's so many really sappy quotes about, you know, um, life's about the journey, not destination. Oh, and most, as sappy as it is, it's true. A lot, oh, you, you don't just arrive at figuring these things out. A lot of folks are uh, looking for shortcut shortcuts to being successful. And there aren't any, there are shortcuts no. to finding success. Like you might find a shortcut to, to save a little bit of time feeding or doing this. Yeah, all those things coupled together is what makes somebody successful. And unfortunately, yes. there are no shortcuts. No. And Seth, uh -huh. what I appreciate about tonight's conversation is here is Seth Hill of the Appalachian Bee Ranch. You know, his just you know, you're just down and you're south of Clayton. Yep. You're working with Bob. You know, you're with Bob every day. And yet somehow you're still a knucklehead like the rest of us. <laughs> I mean yeah. that in a loving way. Um, you're still out there making mistakes. <laughs> you're still out there murdering bees. You're still out there oh, digging yeah. in and the blood and the mud and the and your and the guts and your after you're doing it. It's it's um as as silly as that sounds, it is incredibly uh encouraging knowing that, that we are all gonna make um these mistakes. It's what we do, oh, how Lord. we learn from that, um, how how we utilize that information that makes all the difference um in the world. And that's that's an amazing um, yeah. amazing opportunity. Um, I want to give, a uh, give folks, a, a, an opportunity. If you have a couple questions, uh, we're getting on here a little over an hour. And so we're going to, we don't want to go on tonight, but, uh, I want to, uh, open it up for a couple questions for folks. If you have a question, uh, for Seth, uh, type it out, put the word question colon followed by your question. And we'll be able to easy see through here. The comments are just blasting, um, so fast. I can't really keep up, but, uh, question colon and then your question and we'll see old seth hill here what he has to say about that seth um uh what's, what's the rest of this year looking like for you right now what are you most excited oh, about oh man what i'm most excited about man bringing my bees home i am tired of going five hour and five hour coming to and from i love seeing jeff he's a great friend of mine we've grown real close over this past few weeks of me going to and from but man, I don't like driving. That's like my worst thing. 
I hate to drive. Um, cab time is like my bane of existence. Um, I don't mind listening to some good YouTube and, you know, hanging out and doing all that, but I don't know. Time behind the wheel to me is just like, <sighs> I mean, I know I got to do it to make the bees continue, but I'm, I'm ready to be back in my own bee yards, be running and gunning late at night and hanging out and sweating and having a good time ready for spring to get here. You, a lot of time, a lot of your time is spent saying, "Hey, Hira, you're ready to say bye, Hira, and get back up north." Yeah, buddy, get, get those bees going, huh? I've seen Hira enough this year. <laughs> you're good. We got a question here, Seth. This okay. is from. Uh, I got to thank uh, my buddy Brian Coper is in the background moderating, uh, helping to keep things running smooth. So, Brian, uh, thanks for all that. Uh, Brian has a question for you, Seth's uh, question. Seth, what one memory stands out? And oh. your beekeeping journey, the most oh. memorable one. Oh, man. Man, I don't know because there's hundreds of thousands of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, the most memorable, and it's not a pleasant one, is when I was driving my truck and the steering wheel did a full 360 and the wheels didn't move. So I had to, with, with a trailer load of bees in tow. Um, oh, that's a meet Jesus moment. Good. Oh, Lord. that was, a am about ready to march right up to heaven moment. <laughs> <what that was. laughs> but, um, that's probably my most memorable thus far. That was the most severe breakdown ever in my history of driving um you gotta talk yeah. to us about how how did you how'd you how'd you work through that one? Oh man so that was a crap shoot all the way around um the little red trailer we're gonna call it the little red trailer i feel like that's gonna be a famous a famous thing on youtube now but the little red big, trailer big red, was hauling yeah. um way too much i had the axle overloaded and all this that and the other and i was trying to go up a power line road to one of my new b yards and drop off some nukes well um I got about halfway up and spun out. I was in two-wheel dig. I just about made it. If I would have planned the drive out a little better, I probably would have got up there. But at any rate, so I backed down a little bit, put it in four-wheel dig, and try to get it at it again, and I hear a ping, and I was like, huh, that's interesting. I've never heard that sound before. Uh-oh. And I backed down and tried to do it again, and then I heard boom, and then the truck kind of sat down a little bit, and then the wheel went, yeah. I was like, oh, 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 no. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, needless to say, I got out and the neighborhood called in a few noise complaints. Uh, <laughs> but um, so I got out and tried to investigate the damage. And one tie rod was touching the ground and the other one fell into the wheel and scratched up the rim a little bit on the inside. So, needless to say, she wasn't moving. Um, so my first thought is it's midnight. I got to get these bees up to the bee yard. Now, the bee yard, mind you, is probably a good 200 yards away straight uphill. And these colonies are well fed at this point. They're not light. Oh. They're big nukes. They're not little nukes. They're heavy. So I got about nine before I had to stop and just be like, no, I'm done. I'm not towing anymore. It's done. It's over. So I unloaded them all right there beside the little gravel road. Um, 
I went back the next day. Just I had uh, the guy that um, let the landowner. Um, I'm good buddies with him. So I walked up to his house and he goes to work at like three o'clock. He works at a Caterpillar plant over in South Carolina. So he gets up really, really early. <coughs> and um, so I hitched a ride home with him. Got like two hours of sleep. I was a mess. I was distraught. Um, got home, got some sleep, borrowed my grandma's car and grabbed whatever tools I could seem to muster <laughs> and to try to go fix this mess. Um, oh, man. So I unhooked the trailer and my dad called me and he said, hey, man, did you break down over at such and such's house? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> oh, he no. was like, what are you are you going to tow it? And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Don't do anything until I get there. So we get there. We assess the damage. He helps me get the trailer off and parked. And then he calls me in a tow truck. and He's like, look. I'll pay for the tow if you'll pay for whatever's messed up with it. That was not the exact words used, but that's the most <laughs> kid-friendly paraphrase I can. Because he didn't believe me that the tie rods had snapped. He's like, man, you don't know what you're looking at. You know what you'd have had to done to snap both tie rods? And I'm like, dude, I'm looking at it. I'm telling you right now, mm -hmm. it's both the tie rods. But anyway, so after um, Bob let me borrow a truck to get the bees moved, um, so I guess word to the wise, don't try to do too much. Um, don't overdo the capabilities of your physical equipment. Mm. Let me rephrase that. Cause obviously I say shoot for the stars and land on the moon, but you know, there's a fine line of doing that. And then there's a fine line of absolutely, um, throwing a turd in the punch bowl at your party, uh -huh. so to speak. Mm -hmm. So, you know. That's awesome. That's, yeah, that's, that that's was, a great, uh, it's a great, great point because how many, how many times are we absolutely just pushing it? We're on thin ice. We are oh, what in the world? Sometimes to be fair, we don't know, to be fair. you know, how, how far we can push something. A lot of times we do and we're just yeah. knuckleheads. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. We've got a question ah. here for you. Okay. Uh, Seth, let's see here uh, from our buddy, Todd Prater at the, Loma Vista Bee Company up in California. Uh, the question is, what is one thing you would change in your operation oh. versus Bob's? Man. Um, one thing I would change. Or maybe mm. what is one thing that you do differently um, than Bob? Not because um, what Bob does isn't a good way to do it, but something right. that suits your personality or your goals. Man, I don't know because his stuff always works <laughs> I know. It's like, I, why would it's you like, do anything different um, yeah. i'm sure i do a few things different um not everybody's the same not everybody works the same i don't know man that's a hard one um mm, 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 mm. that's tough because i directly pretty much follow my teacher on most things i really just can't think of that off the top of my head i guess if I would change one thing, um, crap, man, I don't know. That's tough. That's well, tough I think one. you mentioned earlier that you do maybe a couple extra osalic treatments. You, you do some oh, things yes, that yes, you yes. can afford. Okay. You That's have the, yeah. you have the little bit of yeah. extra time to put into something. And so you have the liberty to do it. Another thing is, um, Bob doesn't use formic and I'm going to look into that. So that would be one thing I do different. I'm going to employ some formic. Bob is at a level of his beekeeping that he has 
so finely tuned the schedule that he knows when this is happening. And if this is going to happen, this can happen. So he's going to do this instead. I don't have that gift of foresight yet. Um, So I'm still in the phase of making the new mistakes. Not that Formic's a mistake. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying, you know, he got burned a while back. It wasn't Formic Pro. It was for the chemical was formic. I forget what it was uh, called, but he cooked 300 colonies from improper use of formics. He gave them a full dose when it was like 95 degrees and way too hot, way too much formic. So he destroyed them. And I guess his PTSD will not let him go back to bitten twice shy on something like that, which is completely understandable because that would be like me cooking all 300 of my envisioned colonies this fall with formic. That would right. be the exact same thing. And that would be a major, like that would, you know, I'd, I'm not saying I would be done, but I would, de- that would be one of those humblers that's like, hmm. Ooh. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. <coughs> that, that's, that's, that's an important thing. Even when you're learning from a master like Bob and Bob, if he, he does not, he, if you call him a master, he, he does not want praise. He does not want you to tell no, you no, how no. awesome that he is. Um, but, uh, the fact of the matter is, is Bob is, is an amazing, uh, human being and, and teacher, oh, yeah. and we learn a lot Absolutely. from him. And so just because we, if we do something different, I don't think it means that, um, we're, we, it's not that we oppose anything that he's doing. Um, it might be that we're got a, a, maybe a little bit different context, uh, so maybe some, some different goals, definitely different scale. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and a lot of things play into that, how much time or capital that we have, we might do, you know, some things a little bit different. And then eventually sometime, Seth, we might wise up and say, ah, no, nah, Bob was definitely right on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just thought of it. Uh, okay, what is it? The one thing I would do differently than Bob is if I was Bob, I would still be going to Unadilla. Okay. Um, I'm sure after his 40 years on the road, he's tired of bed bug motels and all this, oh, that, yeah. and the other. But, the, yeah, road dog I mean, it. this year is just too good to be true, man. And it could just be some whack environmental factor down there that got the pollen going and making stuff happen. But for me, I'm from now on until I reach probably Bob status, I'm going to go South. I'm going to find a way to make it down there, get a yard, at least a yard so I can get something started soon. Um, But no, I would continue to go South. I wouldn't stop going South. If you want to see a little bit more about that uh, um, on this, this, uh, this, this Southern exposure, uh, you can go check out Bob Benny's YouTube channel. Check out the video, uh, Go South, Young Man, and you'll see it's all about <laughs> Seth and what he's doing down there in Hey Hira. Be sure you tell Bob that they were, we, were, we were talking him up here at, at Nature's Image Farm and sent you that way to check that video out. Uh, it's a great – you can just see Seth, prime time, live action. That's the kind of thing that you're, <laughs> you're going to be able to expect Heck yeah. is, uh, is Seth on, on his channel at the Appalachian Bee Ranch. The only thing I would say – not to contradict you, but Bob is a master editor. I mm-hmm. am not. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a little bit of a different feel. It's going to be a little choppy. At first, y'all are just going to have to bear with me and um, ride this wave with me. And hopefully we'll get to where I can be as good of an editor as Bob. I think your channel will kind of be like the John Wayne channel. <laughs> where it's just rough, tough, and don't take no INSP. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Does it automatically bleep out uh, obscenities? <laughs> What are you saying oh, over there? <laughs> I like that. What? You got a soundboard over there, man? No. 
course not. Oh, okay. All right, we do have a question here, and I want to make yeah, sure we, we, we get this out. Of course. It's from uh, uh, Spring City Bee Farm. The question is, um, uh, how many queens um, are you going to ship? Maybe the, maybe the question is, maybe the, we'll re rephrase that, is, Seth Hill, are you selling queens this year? And if so, how can folks get in touch with you so they, too, can have their very own Seth Hill queens this year? So I was going to ask you about this after the live stream. People have been asking me, um, mm -hmm. what's a more wise decision to put up a video saying you can get in touch with me here and here or to comment and say you can get in touch with me at such and such email address or just to direct them to the... I know you can go to like about on a YouTube channel and then go to the, if you have questions, email, da, 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 da. Is there a way you can like, from the creator point of view hit a button and direct them to that? Or do you have to call what, what, what we do is we, we just direct folks directly to our website. Um, okay. If they want to contact us, they can go to contact us and our email and number is there. They can reach us directly. Sweet. Um, okay. In the meantime, while you're building, you know, your web presence and all those kind of things, what you can do is um, uh, consider having a point of contact on your about us on the um, Appalachian B ranch channel. Okay. Um, in the meantime, if you have a solid point of contact that you want yeah. folks oh, yeah. to go to reach at, shoot that to me afterwards. I'll put that into the description and they can okay. reach you directly. And then um, they can order order queens from the one and only Seth Hill <laughs> or or uh, singles or nukes or whatever um, yeah. Seth is. And that's uh, yep. that's so awesome. nukes are probably going to be in my foreseeable future, not available for another like two or three years. Yeah. Um. The reason being is all my frames are new. I grow so fast. I have pretty much my oldest right. frames are probably out of some of the original nukes I bought from Bob. Right. And that's it. Like all my old frames are not old anymore. I think uh, you mentioned you sold off some singles later yeah. in the year. Yeah. So I guess depending on what your uh, financial position is and what your growth right. is, um, if folks yeah. want more about that, I would say the best way is, is we'll leave um, his contact. We'll leave Seth's contact information um, in the description of this video. Um, but more importantly, be sure you like, subscribe, hit that notification bell on uh, Seth's Appalachian Bee Ranch YouTube channel. And when Seth has updates on queen availability or if he's selling nukes um, or singles, he can talk to you about that right there on the channel. And you guys yeah. can form uh, that relationship there too. A couple yeah. more questions, Seth, and then we're going to uh, cut you loose here for the night. But uh, the question is, how do you get your comb drawn out fast enough to build up as fast as you want sugar water baby feed them suckers feed, um, feed, feed. when i first started beekeeping feed was a no-no um that was how i i don't want to talk about you know certain subjects like if you do or don't do this right you're stupid right um but you know it <sighs> we know what you're saying we've all been there right and done that. it's like it, my sight was limited to think that the first thing I heard about beekeeping was true. And, you know, the old school people didn't have to feed. The old school people weren't going from 65 colonies to 300. The old school people right. didn't have to worry about varroa mites, tracheal mites, all this, that, and the other business. Um, spot on. So my greatest tool, aside from my willpower, is liquid feed. That is um, how I get most of my bees going the way I get them going. And Bob's got a great video, uh, several great videos on liquid feed. 
the ratios and what ratio to feed when. Um, the easiest way to draw comb is a slightly less than one-to-one -one ratio, more water than sugar. Um, I don't know how to technically word that. Um, less than a one-to-one? One and -one? One a... Less than one-to-one, -one, real thin sugar syrup. Not mm -hmm. like, you know, water thin, but you want you want to be able to dip your finger in it and barely taste sugar. Mm -hmm. You want it to be a northern sweet tea. <laughs> that's the best way i know how to put it oh that's um, great <laughs> but um anyway so you know liquid feed is the best way to get that your going. straw you should can... sink in that glass of yeah. sweet tea and not oh, float on yeah, top buddy. like it does down yep. your way okay. yes sir absolutely oh we don't use straws man <laughs> <laughs> that that's that's a great and that that's a that's a, an entire um subject in itself oh, and we're definitely That's we definitely got to have you back on uh throughout the yeah, year man. and check in and uh and see what you're up to because there are so many um nuances and and variables with, with feeding um that oh, yeah. uh you know one, one quick story is, is when uh when bob and i when we were down visiting the werners um he was asking pete about this totes of uh, fructose 55 and and huh. what he thinned them down to and pete looked at him and said what do you mean thin them down and bob said well you don't <laughs> thin those down to feed to the bees he goes, now we just feed it to them straight most of the time, truth be told. <laughs> and Bob said, really? And they and they do everything? And he says, they do a good enough. And so what's, what's oh, interesting yeah. is um, I, I think there's ways to dial in approaches. And um, oh, of course, there's um, I would absolutely love to have a crew that had Seth Hill on it. It had uh, King John Land. Oh, yeah. It had, no, we it had Jesse. Right, oh, yeah. and I uh, haven't worked with with Selena yet, but you guys seem like oh, just she's a, a joy. The Blue she, Ridge All Stars. Yeah. If I had a crew, <laughs> I mean, we've got seven kids. They've got to grow up a little bit, get a little bit older. But if right. I had a crew where they could just mix pallets of sugar into a huge oh. bakery mixer and then make oh, the liquid yeah. feed, maybe I would think about it. Um, but a lot of us, as we grow, we only thing we can do the the easiest thing to get feed out there is to feed straight right off a tote, right. whether it's Pro Sweet or fifty five. Yeah. And just pump it to them and let them do their thing. I have an easy solution to your problem, kind sir. Okay. Now that once again, this is um, a time thing. I made my own paddle um, for a drill to mix sugar water with in a 55-gallon drum. Now, you can do the same thing in a tote, but you have to have like a junk tote and cut the top out of it. Mm -hmm. right and then you got to have a pump to pump it out of that toad into the toad right. you want to put on the truck yep but you know if you do a cost benefit as analysis and you figure the cost of the feed versus the cost of the sugar the hot water additives yada 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 whatever and the diesel fuel to drive and go get it and haul it back home or haul mm -hmm. it to the bee yard um it may or may not come out in your favor i don't know um I'm going to have a YouTube video on it because it's one of the only things I can do this time of the year besides going to Hey Hira mm -hmm. uh, when I'm at home and do a YouTube video on. Um, but, you know, that might be I, – if I, I would think one of your kids could man a drill with a paddle bit while the other oh, one pours sure. the sugar in. Yeah, I'm sure I, of it. But knowing them, know. they're going to take a they're going to take a three-point tractor auger and they're gonna they're gonna take the postal <laughs> digger off there, and they're gonna rig up some kind of a scuba diving gear 
they're going to hey, back man. right up and just make it make it do it itself. But oh, that's the, yeah. that's the cool thing about beekeeping is um, in, in my in my, you know, it, it could be naive. But to me, I'd like to say, you know, there's no right way or the wrong way. There's whatever way works for you and your bees and your context. Yep. Um, and so whether that's using something like ProSuite where it doesn't freeze, it doesn't sour, it doesn't go bad oh, and you can feed it sweet. to them on demand. Yes, that's you know, that's pretty handy. But that there's opportunities. One. That's a benefit where it's not going to sour on you. It's not going to you know get yeah, your buckets black. Exactly. Um, but you know, to each their own. If if I had the time even to thin out Pro Suite, of course, at the price, you know, like like this year for instance, you know, we'll have the the, the truck will come and then fill our totes, and so I don't do anything other than open up my caps, and then everything gets filled there, and then all I got to do is put it on the truck. You know, it does take a lot more pump, takes a lot longer. You are not pumping Pro Suite at fifty degrees easily. It's got to be right. 70 degrees. It's so thick. You need a full three-inch trash pump. So there's trade-offs, just like with anything. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That is the one thing about sucrose. When it's thin, man, it's like, it's it's not wa it's not quite water, but, you know, it's thin. It's, so you can run it It's cold. wet and fast. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But once again, the semi-truck rolling up, filling up totes, sounds pretty sweet. That's pretty cool. You know, and at, with with the price of sugar and the price that that ends up oh, being yeah. at that at that um, volume so, for, for us, it makes a lot of sense right now. Right, of course. And you know, Bob gets a bulk deal, uh, right? Fifty one cent a pound, but yep. he buys it by the semi truck load. So, right, exactly. If you buy it by the pallet at Walmart. I don't know that you're quite going to get the same nope, deal. That's exactly scale the, the scalability main... of growing. Right, of course, exactly. And the main appeal to sucrose is, you know, I forget all the chemistry, but they create their own antiseptic condition under right. the sucrose with the gluconic acid and all that stuff. Yeah. Do they do that with ProSweet? Just a quick question. I don't know. Well, it's, about it's an inverted sugar to start with. Um, so the some of those nuances there, I don't. what I do know is it's already inverted. So for me, when I'm putting it, like I can put ProSweet on, you know, uh, in the winter, like right now, when it's 50 degrees out, I can go flip me a bucket and they can feed off that a little bit during that day. And I can flip the bucket right back over before ah. it gets too cold at night. So there, there's little nuances where I couldn't do that with a one to one or a two to one. Oh, of course. Um, but, yeah. But this is so it's already inverted, too. So there's less metabolism. They don't have to break it down into that two chain format. Is it right? Is it wrong? Yes, it is. Oh, of just course. like everything Absolutely. else. Absolutely. Yeah. That's just what that's that has been one of our force multipliers. Um, is using that style of feed has just made things yeah. um, it's it's saved us um, a lot of time and especially in your climate that is a big deal up where you are i right. guess i don't know i've never been but from the sounds of it you know that sounds like the ticket honestly it sounds like yep. it's more profitable to use that than it is sucrose in your we'll environment see. It, but, you know maybe so unless uh, you know if we were buying it you know enough dry sugar and could mix it fast oh, enough Right. Um, and, it, and it's a matter of scale too, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you know, buying enough at it, enough of it. Like if we just talk about a regular sideliner, if it, oh, let's say 60 to hundred colonies, buying enough sugar that they need at that scale, unless they're getting yeah. it on a bulk buy with a commercial beekeeper. Absolutely. They're automatically price pointing themselves in a position where, oh my gosh, it's already pretty expensive as it is. Oh, and yeah. then the time to mix it and then yeah. mixing up enough volume at one time to go feed right. the bees before it sours in a week exactly it's a it's yeah. a whole dance and nuance that's beekeeping that's oh, how you absolutely. make your splits that's how you're moving yeah. your comb around you're, you're getting your yards out onto a flow it's it's all about absolutely um 
then that little bit of nuance here. We had a question here from uh, Dub McClellan. Uh, Greg, will you still be in Kentucky tomorrow? I will be. We'll be hitting the bricks tomorrow, and uh, we'll be speaking down at the Clarks River Bee Club. Uh, so looking forward to seeing a lot of you down in Kentucky. Uh, that's going to be great down in uh, the Benton, Kentucky area. Uh, there's a lot more uh, speaking engagements this year. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to our website at naturesimagefarm.com. Check out the events, and maybe we'll be at a bee club um, near you. Uh, we'll take this last question here, Seth. Uh, it's from Brian Washburn, and it's a question to you both. What tree in your area blooms first? I'm in southwest Ohio, and this year my maple trees are blooming right now. Last year my Bradford pears trees bloomed first, and my bees covered them up. Seth, what tree in your area blooms first? Uh, maple as per Lakemont. The first flower or plant to bloom south is wild radish. Um, Latin's like Raphanus rapinistrum or something. I used to know that when I was in college. But anyway, it's uh, like a mustard kind of. Um, yeah. That's the first thing to go down there, and it blooms forever. It's like two months, and they were still bringing in pollen off of it the other day. So wow. there's a lot of it down there. Um, up here, the maples... They get a little bit off of like dandelion and stuff like that, but the maple is the first legitimate flow to really kick them into gear. Um, that's our kind of indicator, and it actually came a week early this year. Usually, they bloom on Valentine's Day to the south. They bloomed at the beginning of, what's today? Yeah, last week, they started blooming to the north. So. Mm. Something has gone funky somewhere. Mother Nature got her calendar mixed up or something. I don't know. Um, well, what's what's interesting is, um, you know, I've talked about in the past, but when, when I came down and, and visited you guys and brought all those blue dot queens back and cells yeah. and then singles um, from Bob to get um, those southern Appalachian genetics mixed up here with our northern Appalachian genetics, what's interesting is how similar – um, a lot of the um, the phenology is different. Like what time the what time of year certain plants and things come on, but a lot of the same key points are kind of true. I think because you guys are so far up uh, and, and elevation as compared to what we are as far as how cool we are, a lot of things um, do make sense. So it's been uh, really neat crossing those two lines together. And while both were great on their own, crossing them together. Um, the, the offspring from those have been tremendous. Um, but the reason I bring that up is it, it's neat to be able to see and hear what you're um, not only doing time of the year for splits and things, we're doing all the same things. Um, and, and, but the time frame squished, you know, we were, we're you're, you know, you've got your, your season is, I can't even find my camera here with my fingers. Anyways, <laughs> your season's big. Um, and you do all oh, yeah. those things. Ours is condensed in like a third of that time. We have to figure out all those things. Um, but the tree um, that really starts things off here is 100% maple. And usually oh, yeah. it's you know silver, red, and then sugar maple. Um, this year Lucky at the farm, dog. our sugar maples are already budding out hard. And they're going to be blooming. Um, I'm expecting to see blooms in the next probably two, three weeks. Um, Ooh, and what's interesting, the reason I bring this up, is uh seth being a fellow hillbilly we we look to nature we look to critters we we look oh, uh, for the signs 
Um, and uh, I know I don't down south. If you guys do it up north here, we look at the persimmon seeds if we have them, and look to see if it's a knife, um, spoon, or fork on how how cold or how much snow we're going to get. It might be different for you that you know of course, as far on the yeah. snow. We also yeah. look at the woolly caterpillar and his colors, yeah. and it kind of shows us, you, you know, buddy. how many rings of black versus how many brown and then black. What's interesting Ooh. is this year's woolly is identical to last year's woolly, um, and last year was the greatest beekeeping season that we have ever had as far as flow and the timing of it all. I'm glad I'm not the only one that picked up on that. It's not that everybody that I work with is from the south. They are, but, like, they don't pick up on that kind of stuff i guess it's not superstition but you know what i mean it's just like you said about the persimmon seeds and the woolly it, it's hillbilly know. intuition it's, it's yeah exactly it's yeah. following the old timers intuition into stuff and that i picked up on that as well i was like hmm but why that's a big deal is last year was tremendous for us up here and going by those signs year. that i see and it is on my heart hot and heavy that this year um, is not only going to mirror last year, it's actually going to be it's going to be um, even better. So I'm oh, actually man. planning a lot of our growth and our splits and our timing yes. and all that because that compass that's in our heart, that truth that's written right there is it is just squawking hard and that's the direction it's pulling me. Yes, uh, and I really believe that. Um, and so so far, it seems like spring is yet just a hair earlier this year than it was last year. And last year it came early. It came fast and furious. Yes, and while we absolutely. were here, we were in cool weather, wishing we were in bees. It only took a split second and we were elbows deep in it. Yes, sir. Yeah. It's already like that for me having to go south. I'm, you know, jumping in head first. It seems like um, I need two more months of winter to catch up. I loved your podcast the other day. Um, Don't be left behind or whatever that. Oh, was yeah. The living yeah. embodiment of my operation right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but, uh, I'm, I'm glad you're listening. What? Uh, oh, absolutely. That's, it's it's um you know you the you you said a lot of this solid awesome quotes, um, but the one that we all hear from Ben Franklin um, is if you fail to plan and you're planning to yes, fail, uh, and th and that's a fact. It, this is that time of year. Um, if you don't, if you already don't have it written down, even at a, on a diner napkin, what this year looks oh, yeah. like, you might find yourself in a pretty sore position. Mm -hmm. uh, because spring is coming fast. It's going to be yes, furious. Um, and if you don't, if you, if you are looking for bees or packages or nukes or Queens or equipment, if you aren't getting all those things lined up, um, oh, in Ohio, course. you are about to be too late. If you're in Seth's neck of the woods and you don't have that figured out. Yeah. It's the season's already done. started. Yeah. Yeah. So Unless if you it, find it, broke guys like me, then they might try to help you out. But <laughs> yeah, and if Seth needs the cash flow that next expansion, maybe he maybe he peels off a single or two, and oh, um, yeah. you just you just never know. But that's that's the cool thing about uh, beekeeping is it is while it is so tremendously variable and different, mm -hmm. what I love about it um, is uh, the bees are the conduit to each other, and we can recognize that. Uh, we can still make what seems like a mistake. We can learn from it. We can find yeah. that silver lining. We can turn that negative into a positive if we're yeah. having the right mindset. Uh, Seth, it's been an honor having you on tonight, sharing with you not only who who Seth Ill as a, is as a beekeeper, but as a person. And I'm looking forward to seeing all things Seth Hill on the Appalachian <laughs> Bee Ranch. Seth, do you have any final thoughts before we close it out? Uh, not much, man. I was just going to say, you know, we work with one of the hardest people to work with in the entire universe. Her name is mother nature and she mm. is a insert, you know, 
the word. There we go. <laughs> but, um, you know, and like I said earlier, she's the house and she always wins. You just got to cash out on what you can and really try to work with what she gives you. And she's kind of a trickster. She drops subtle hints like your woolly caterpillars and, you know, the persimmon seeds and the moon phases and stuff like that. It's like, oh, 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 okay. And, you know, if you learn to read her, and Bob reads into Mother Nature a lot. Big so, time. You know, uh, in his experience, he has learned to kind of coincide with what she's going to do, so to speak. It's not an exact science. It's an art. So that's just my final thoughts. Oh, I have one more awesome quote. Um, I thought about it a minute ago, and I, what, nothing, no subject matter really came up to um, – really justify it but another force multiplier of mine i guess would be now this is going to be a little bit to keep up with so y'all might want to write this down two is one one is none and three is spare parts nice yeah <laughs> just remember that along your journey and i promise you when something takes a crap and you got a brand new one right there in the box waiting on you you plug it in or you hook it up or you do whatever it's ready to go it makes life so much easier. It's just not easy on your wallet sometimes. So that is the uh, the prepper, the homesteader, the farmer. <laughs> uh, that is the, the what we say here all the time. Yes, sir. Is two is one, one is none, and threes for me. Yeah, most buddy. that's because I can't find anything because I'm not the best housekeeper <laughs> yeah. with my tools. Um, yeah. But the other thing is sometimes the tools walk off or they break or you can't oh, find course. it. Um, having yeah. that that third one laying around, man, it, that can really. Yeah. I can really yeah. get you out of a yep. get you dig you out of there. So yes, Seth, sir. thanks again for spending time with us tonight. Thank I want to thank uh, everyone here in the comments, uh, everyone listening uh, at the Nature's Image Farm podcast, uh, all the folks who hung out with us tonight here on the YouTube channel live chat, and then everyone uh, listening to the replay. Hey, we thank you. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, it makes all the difference in the world. Uh, coming up this week, we've got uh, the stream team beekeeping chat this Wednesday night. I believe that's over on uh, Bruce Jenny's channel. If I'm wrong, it's on Brian Coper's Castle Hive's channel. And if I'm wrong again, it'll be right here at Nature's Image Farm. Either way, check out those three channels. Check out our buddy Seth's brand new, brand spanking new YouTube channel, Appalachian Bee Ranch. Like, subscribe, hit that notification bell. Drop at Rascal some comments. Show him some love. That's what it's all about. These uh, bees are just a conduit uh, to the people. There's always something that we can do. Uh, to be a lighthouse to somebody else. So as always, I want to remind you to be the lighthouse and be the change that you want to see in this world. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching.